Welcome to the Book of Mormon Evidence podcast with host Rod Meldrum. This week's supplemental study is a discussion of the introductory pages of the Book of Mormon. Lesson 1, Part 2. So let's talk about the last couple of quick things here. Um, so in the Book of Mormon, uh, we, we, uh, David mentioned about the, uh, being the most correct book and so forth, the man would become nearer to God because of, because of this book. But it also talks about the Book of Mormon is, is unique in that it says that it has the fullness of the gospel. And uh, I want to just talk a little bit about, you know, what is this fullness of the gospel? Because the Book of Mormon, for example, if the fullness of the gospel means all of the gospel and everything and all the ancillary things that go with it, then, I mean, for example, the, you know, the endowment ceremony is not in the Book of Mormon. So how can that be the fullness if we have more, like the endowment ceremony, which came later on by Revelation? So what, what it, obviously it's not talking about the fullness of the gospel being everything related to the gospel. The fullness of the gospel must mean something else. So well, the that's, fullness to me is baptism, you know, repentance, baptism, and the Holy Ghost. Yeah. And it's every week we go through that. The fullness is that I have an opportunity to repent and be forgiven every yeah. day, every second that I do something wrong. Well, this is something I actually had uh, have an amazing gospel doctrine teacher in our ward and, and uh, was teaching me a little bit more about this as well. But we need to read a couple of quick verses. So if we go to Doctrine and Covenant section 39, and it, what, what exactly is the gospel, and then what exactly is the fullness of the gospel. So that gives us some definitions here in section 39 of the Doctrine and Covenants here. And if we go to verse 6, it says, And this is my gospel. So, he, uh, so he's telling us now what it is, right? It says, Repentance and baptism by water. Then comes the baptism by fire and the Holy Ghost. Okay? Even the Comforter, which uh, showeth all things and teacheth the peaceable things of the kingdom. So this is what the gospel is. The gospel is essentially those, those ordinances and those uh, things that we do okay, in the gospel basically to, to move us personally back towards God. Yeah, can I add one? There's a common theme here with baptism and repentance and everything, and that is, that is the laying down your life, dying to yourself, submission, all of that aspect, which I think if you cross-reference over to 3 Nephi 27, 13, Jesus Christ gives another definition. He says, I have given unto you, well, another, but they're compatible, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have given unto you my gospel, and this is the gospel which I have given unto you, that, and he gives it, I came into the world to do the will of my Father because my Father sent me. Now think about Jesus Christ at this time. He's resurrected, and he's appeared to the Nephites. He's exalted. And, and what does he say over and over? My father sent me to do this. They're begging him to stay. He says, I can't. Like, my daddy says, I got to go over there. <laughs> right? That's basically That's right. what he's right. saying. And I'm using the more kind of endearing term just to help us remember. Jesus Christ is a son. He yeah. has a dad. And he had to take care of his own salvation. Right. And then, yeah. and so he says, my gospel is, I came into the world and I did exactly what my dad said to do. And I submitted and by submitting and being obedient. And basically that's all repentance and baptism really is. Every day. Every, every, every second. You, right. And, and he was perfect. And even though he was perfect, he followed his father with exactness. So yeah. just to add that 
aspect of the gospel. I think having Jesus Christ be an example of someone who lived the gospel and achieved it can help yeah. us do that in our own and lives. That, and that's really what the gospel is all about. It's about us personally. Mm-hmm. Just like it was about Christ personally being able to go through all of these different you know, processes and then ended up you know, becoming who he is and so forth. But this is the interesting thing. In, in verse 11 here in Doctrine and Covenants, of verse, or section 39, it says, and if thou do this, I have pre- prepared thee for a greater work. Thou shalt preach. Okay, so, so what is this greater work he's talking about? If you do this, in other words, if you follow the gospel and you go through these steps and, and you become, you know, basically an exalted being or whatever. What the Father sent okay. me to be. Yeah, he says, if thou, if, if thou do this, I have prepared thee for a greater work. So in other words, if you follow the gospel, if you go through these steps, then he, he's preparing you to do something that's even bigger. What's bigger than saving yourself? Saving others. And as he says, Thou shalt preach the fullness of my gospel, which I have sent forth in these last days, the covenant which I have sent forth to recover my people, which are the house of Israel. So the fullness of the gospel doesn't mean everything that the gospel entails. The fullness of the gospel actually, specifically in this, in this particular verse, I believe it's what it's saying here is, is that the fullness of the gospel is when you have been converted, then help convert your brethren. Like David said a lot while ago about the conversion, David, did you want to comment? You were talking about conversion and the importance of once thou art converted to convert thy brethren. Yeah. That is correct, yes, and that's why uh, it's important that uh, we... Um, we're not saved by ourselves alone. We we can, we yes we we uh, we can have testimony. We can be baptized. We receive the Holy Ghost. We can in essence be born again. But we have to share that. The Lord tells us that we have to um, seek after those who uh, have not received the word, so that they can also have that word. And it's up to us to do that. And and Joseph Smith said that really there's. Uh, there's two ways to do that. We do it for the living and we do it for the dead. And of course, we don't get into that in the Book of Mormon, but we do that through our family history as well. So we have to, in essence, what Elijah says, we have to turn our hearts to the fathers, to the children, the children, the fathers. So it's going back to the fathers again, that we need to be united as a, as a family because all of us have to be part of that family of God. And we, he, all wants, he wants all of us to return to his presence. So we can't do it on our own. We can't just be isolated. We, no man is an island, in, in essence. We have to be uh, thinking for our own family members, our neighbors. Uh, we have to warn our neighbor, and we have to do our family history and do temple work. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going back to the scripture just for a second there. It says to, he says that the covenant, which I have sent forth to recover my people, which are who? The house of Israel. But I thought we were all adopted. Yeah. <laughs> we are Israel. I'm, being kid- I'm kidding. That's true. Well, everybody will be adopted into yeah. one of the 12 tribes, whether, whether right. they well, are think, from them or not. I think that's there. a gospel rumor thinking like, yeah. I think most people think uh, that all of us, the majority of members of the church are adopted, that yeah, I'm, I'm not really right. of Abraham's blood. Right. Yeah, I don't really have but the blood. But we really are. Joseph Fielding Smith and Joseph yeah. Smith taught, and we have all these quotes on our website at the Joseph Smith Foundation. Yeah. They taught, no, the majority of the members of the church, actually, are. if they do their genealogy back, they will go back 
to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Literally. When you read the Bible, that's about your ancestors. The children of Israel that stood at the feet of Mount Sinai, that's you. That completely changes the way that you approach the scriptures if you understand that we're of Israel. And there are a few people that are adopted. That That is, and that's something that right. happens. And right. Joseph Smith actually mm -hmm. taught there's a physical change when someone's adopted and yeah. they actually, like, their body changes. And that's another point to, on this is that when Moroni first came to Joseph Smith, when he did um, right. introduce him to the whole thing, is he, he, he does two things. He tells him about the book that will be hidden. He shows him where it's going to be. He sees a vision. And he also tells him that he will send uh, Elijah and that Elijah would come and turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. They, he does a little bit differently than what we read in, in Malachi. But that message that was given to Joseph Smith when he saw Moroni had to do with both. The book was going to gather Israel and also that Elijah would be coming soon and he would then have the priesthood power, the sealing power to gather those who have passed on. Yeah, exactly. So, so basically, just as a recap on that, the gospel is about saving yourself. The fullness of the gospel is about saving the remnant of Israel. Well, and I think, I think, too, also, there's many places in there in the scriptures and in Joseph Smith's writings where he's saying that the fullness of the gospel is contained in the Book of Mormon. Yep. Because you're talking about, I think one way to look at it, too, is another way to look at this is, you know, every teaching and every doctrine that Joseph Smith taught or even that Brigham Young taught is not in the Book of Mormon. But... Right. The things that are in the Book of Mormon are true. Right. And they're entirely true. And they're <laughs> the word and will of God to us. And that, I think, is, is fundamental because that, the fullness means that it's, 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 it's full. It's Everything we the, need to well, be saved and live with our Father in heaven again. Well, well, I, I guess what I, I, there's so much more though, right? Because the endowment's yeah. not there. Right. And all right. these teachings are not in there. Even in Baptism of the Dead, I do not, I mean, some people say, yeah, it's in there. And it's there's, like, there's a lot of doctrines but, that are so not in So there's a the lot of not, doctrines yeah. that are not in there, but I, I guess what I would say is the doctrines that are in there are complete right. and they are correct right. and they are full in the sense of being true. True in the truest sense. You can't have everything in one book right. that is really truth. Truth is so big, right. how could it fit in one book, right. so to speak? Yeah. All right. Well, so, so uh, just a, just a little thing. Even even the uh, this is now in Third Nephi chapter sixteen and verse uh, ten, and even when Christ is there with the Nephites and he's and he's teaching them. Now, he actually is quoting his father. So this is not just Christ. This is Elohim now speaking here. And, uh, and basically says, And thus commandeth the Father that I should say to you, At that day when the Gentiles shall sin against my gospel. Okay. So that he's differentiating the, the, the gospel and, and shall reject the fullness of my gospel. So there's these two aspects of it. So they're going to sin against the gospel, which is you know, trying to... Uh, Save help yourself. save yourself, basically, and reject the fullness of my gospel, which is basically to, to help everybody Israel. else and gather, gather Israel. And then it says, be left up in the pride of their hearts and so forth. And in verse 11 it says, And then will I remember my covenant, which I have made unto my people, the house of Israel, and I bring 
and I bring my, my gospel unto them. Okay? And he says, And I will show unto thee, O house of Israel, the Gentiles shall not have power over you, but I will remember my covenant with unto you, O house of Israel, and ye shall come unto the knowledge of the fullness of my gospel. So again, it's making it very clear that there's a difference between the gospel and the fullness of the gospel. And we, have, we have not identified the fullness of the gospel part properly because people think it's, well, it's everything. No, it's not. It's actually this specific thing. The fullness of the gospel is just that, to take the gospel to all the other people of the earth. And I think here, just because I run in a lot of intellectual circles, so one thing I think that is so important that we, we realize is, is we, we will be judged. It's interesting, Nephi, he says, look, I'm writing this Book of Mormon or this, these, these scriptures, I'm writing this down for my children, yeah. right? Yeah. I'm writing this for my children, but, but then he, he's like, they, they will be judged out of this yeah, book. So yeah. we're going to be judged as a people out of the Book of Mormon. And so I guess what I would say is what is in there is correct. And we need to not be going in there and saying, well, I don't, I agree with this part here, but this part over <laughs> here, I really don't like, you yeah, know, yeah. or this other part over here, I have a problem with that or where it's talking about this or that, that's controversial to me. And I mean, I'm, I, I respect anybody. You don't, we're not going to force beliefs on anybody. And if people don't want to believe and accept it, that's fine. But as far as what the Lord is saying, he's saying, no, Gentiles and you people and the people in the church, we need to be accepting the doctrines. Because if we start rejecting teachings in the Book of Mormon or teachings in the Doctrine and Covenants, and key doctrines, then we're on shaky ground. And I think that, that yeah. there's so much discussion of that in Scripture about in the last days, the Gentiles rejecting these teachings. And we need to be really careful about that. Yeah. I was going to just say something about this Elijah thing again, is that uh, the, uh, the Lord, when he's, this is the Nephi, he reiterates about uh, Elijah coming. And uh, in the... Mentions that because they did not have the scripture with them, and so he wants them to know about that. So even though we don't have a lot of the temple work in the Book of Mormon, he's referring to it, and so therefore it it is something that is part of the fullness, and that there's there's a reason why we know about why Elijah is coming, and so the the Book of Mormon helps us explain that. Awesome. Okay, so this this next uh, little segment here. Uh, this is from uh, 3 Nephi chapter 20, and this is the, uh, the Lord speaking again to the Nephites here. He says, I will remember the covenant which I have made with my people. And who are his people? Okay, and I have covenanted with them that I would gather them together in mine own due time, <clears throat> and I would give unto them again the land of their fathers for their inheritance. And what land is that? It's the land of Jerusalem, which is the promised land unto them for how long? Ever. Forever. Mm -hmm. Okay? And it says, thus, thus saith the Father. So this is not just Christ saying it. This is Elohim saying this. Mm -hmm. Okay, this is Heavenly Father saying that this Jerusalem is a promised land to Christ's people forever. Right? But then also, if you go back now to, to verse 22 in the same chapter, 3 Nephi chapter 20, it says, Behold, this people 
well, I established in this land. And now, this people being the Nephites and the Lamanites that he's speaking to. Yeah, well, well, he's actually, as I understand it, he's actually talking about the Latter-day Gentiles in this particular case. He says, it shall come to pass, let's go up to verse 20. So come to pass, saith the Father, that the sword of my justice shall hang over them on that, at that day. And except they repent, it shall fall upon them, saith the Father, yea, even upon all the nations of the Gentiles. So I'm not sure, it's not, it's not saying it's 100% clear. Um, as, I, as I read that, I'm thinking it's probably that he's talking about the Gentiles here who are going to occupy this promised land in the future. And it shall come to pass that I will establish my people. <coughs> Excuse me. Got that part up. And it shall come to pass that, that I will establish my people, O house of Israel. And behold, this people will I establish in this land under the fulfilling of this covenant which I made with your father Jacob. And it shall be a new Jerusalem. I think he's talking about in the future here. There's going to be a people who he's going to establish in this land, the land that the Nephites are on under the fulfilling of this covenant that he's made on this land, beginning from Adam and Eve and all the way through Ether and all the Nephites and so forth, all the way down to our day, which I made with your father Jacob, and it shall be a new Jerusalem, and the powers of heaven shall be in the midst of this people, yea, even I will be in the midst of you. Okay? So he's talking about this, these two covenant lands. It's basically Jerusalem and the new Jerusalem. These two covenant gathering places for the house of Israel. So if we're going to focus on the fullness of the gospel, which is taking the gospel to all of the nations of the earth, but also specifically the, 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 the Israel, the people of Israel, the descendants of Israel, then we need to understand who they are. Mm -hmm. So who are these people of Israel that he's talking about? When he says, my people, who's he talking about? Who are these Lamanites? Or, or, who are the Nephites? And right. you guys have been kind of... So, I know you, right. you're, you're, you're wanting to talk about this because it's such an important thing, and I want you to be able to tell us yeah. now, for it takes to take the next few minutes and tell us a little bit about why is it that we, because most of us, I think, right. of, think of myself, I came from right. basically Scotland and from England on my mom's side. Right. Um, that's not Book of Mormon people. You're just a Gentile. To, 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 for, as, as I've understood right. it as a kid growing up, yeah. right. I never considered myself to be you know, a, a Nephite. Right. Am so, I wrong? So that's. Can that's, I preface that? There was actually a huge controversy in the church in the 1900s over this very issue. Um, there was a man named George Peely, and I'm giving the oversimplified version, right? <laughs> but essentially, there was a huge friction between him and leaders like President Benson and other men that were leaders of the church because. He, he was a Native American, and he was reading the Book of Mormon, and he says, throughout the Book of Mormon, it says that the New Jerusalem is going to be built by who? The people of Lehi. It's going to, all these promises are going to be fulfilled. They're the ones running things in the last days. Why are you, you know, Scotch, English, yeah, Irish, <laughs> Northern European, Europeans. Gentiles yeah. running the church? We should be the ones running the church. You guys are basically That's usurpers. We're supposed to be support. Off the reservation, to... so to speak. And, and so it was this huge contrary, and it's confused a lot of people. Like I have right, a lot of right, friends right. who say, "Yeah, they grew up with their neighbor who was constantly saying, yeah, we've got the wrong people leading the church, and we've got the wrong system because it's supposed.' The Book of Mormon says, and the Book of Mormon does say that. So how do we resolve this so, seeming contradiction? So if we go into Second Nephi 29, yeah. this is a nice place to start. We could go anywhere, you know. So Second Nephi 29. Yeah, Second Nephi 29. So if we go over there, everyone can 
just so we can give people time to get over there. But so in 2 Nephi 29, it walks through the coming forth of the marvelous work and wonder. So in verse 1, it says, But behold, there shall be many at that day when I shall proceed to do a marvelous work among them. So what is this marvelous work? This is the work of Joseph Smith. This is the work of the coming forth of the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and, and Covenants, the Pearl of Great Price. Uh, the Lord is going to do in verse 1 this marvelous work and wonder. And I'm, he's going to remember the covenants which he has made unto the children of men. And he's going to set his hand again to gather Israel, right? That's what we've been talking about, how important this is to gather Israel. And it says, and also, in verse 2, that I may remember the promises which I have made unto thee, Nephi. So this is, this is significant because the Lord has made promises to Nephi and he says, and also unto thy father, Lehi, right? That I would remember your seed. So in the latter days, this work, this marvelous work and wonder, this gathering of Israel has to do so much more than we've ever, ever conceived of. Because we could go to dozens of scriptures where it says this. But Your seed specifically, yeah. not generally. Right, Nephi's seed. Yeah. Nephi, he's saying in other verses, we could go over there sometime, maybe not tonight, but he's saying, look, I'm, I'm writing this for my seed, for my kids in the last days. And we know those kids survived because Doctrine and Covenants 3, the Lord mm -hmm. says he's going to give the Book of Mormon to the Nephites, the Jacobites, the Josephites, and the Zoramites. So yeah. Nephites, Jacobites, Zoramites, and uh, Josephites survived to get to 1830. They were so, alive in 1830. Right. So he's going to say, I'm going to remember your seed and the words of your seed. Watch this. And that the words of your seed, the Book of Mormon, should proceed forth out of my mouth unto your seed. Different so, seeds. No. Well, the Book of Mormon, the Book of Mormon is the words of Nephi's seed, right? Mm -hmm. Nephi's right. posterity are the ones who write and, you know, they're the ones who create the Book of Mormon. And then they're going to proceed forth out of the Lord's mouth mm -hmm. unto his seed, unto Nephi's seed. In the last days. So, so the Book of Mormon was written primarily to Latter-day Nephites. Okay. Now, he says, And my word shall hiss forth unto the ends of the earth for a standard unto my people which are of the house of Israel. Now, now watch this. This is another verse. So if we come down here to verse 13. So in verse 13 here, he's got, And it shall come to pass that the Jews, which... Uh, prophets have said include the Lamanites shall have the words of the Nephites okay so latter-day Jews will have the words of the Nephites it's interesting that he's using the term Nephites well, yeah think of the Jews and the Native Americans for example would right. have the words of the Nephites right 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 and the Nephites the latter-day Nephites shall have the words of the Jews or the words of the Jews are the Bible right, right. so we're gonna have the Bible and we're going to have the Book of Mormon, but he's talking about Latter-day Nephites are having the Bible, but he's also talking the words of the Nephites, right? And then, okay, so, and the Nephites and the Jews shall have the words of the lost tribes. So generally, that's what we've always considered ourselves to be, right? We've always considered ourselves, if we're 
of Northern Europe, we've always thought, well, we're part of the lost tribes, right? Well, if we're the we're, lost tribes, who are, I mean, why would we think we're the lost tribes when we know who we are? I mean, that, did, well, that never made sense well, to me. Well, I think, you know? I think that it makes sense. I do believe that we are of the lost tribes as well, but I guess what I'm saying is, the Nephites and the Jews shall have the words of the lost tribes and others come of Israel and the lost tribes of Israel shall have the words of the Nephites and Jews. So he's distinguishing three main groups, Nephites, Jews, and lost tribes. Now, the question is, are all of those Nephites, what are they? Are they going to be, are they going to be, they're descendants of Nephi, certainly, because that's what we just said they were. But are, what... Are they all going to be darker complexion? Mm -hmm. Or are even most of them going to be darker complexion? It's interesting that all through here, if we go over to Helaman 3.16, I'll just throw this out quickly. It says, The Nephites have fallen into transgression and have been murdered and plundered and hunted and driven forth and slain and scattered upon the face of the earth and mixed with the Lamanites until they are no more called Nephites becoming wicked and wild and ferocious, even becoming Lamanites. So in other words, those who assimilated over and to, became to wicked the Lamanite side. became mm -hmm. Lamanites. Even if they were Nephites, they were Lamanites. And in the latter days, the prophecies about the Lamanites in the latter days are prophecies of all those who rejected the covenant. And that's what we saw there in DNC 3. We saw that there would be Lamanites and Lemuelites and Ishmaelites and they would be the ones who, you know, they, they, their fathers rejected the covenant. Mm -hmm. Okay, so here we're talking about people who never rejected the covenant, Latter-day Nephites. And we're not using skin color to distinguish. We're well, skin color doesn't really mean right. anything in this, I don't think. Yeah. We're talking about, because none of us know, like, who are we unless we have, a, maybe by revelation. Uh, but the point of it is, Here's the question is, if there's all this talk about the primary group that Nephi is writing the Book of Mormon for being the Nephites in the latter days, could we be Nephites? Could each of us, even sitting around this table, are we latter-day Nephites? Do we have the blood of Nephi in our, in our bodies is our the ancestry. question, in yeah. our ancestry. Do we go back to that? Through the, a lot. And it, yeah. and now, <laughs> now just some interesting things that we'll just throw out really quickly. Some of it is we've, we've done a lot of study because 2 Nephi 3 talks about how it's almost, unless you bend over backwards and do cartwheels, it's, it shows that Joseph Smith was a descendant of Joseph, Lehi's son. So he would have been a Latter-day Nephite. Now, interestingly, this is one of the arguments made by the anti-Mormons in Joseph Smith's, well, after Joseph Smith's day. So David Whitmer, after he apostatized, he wrote a pamphlet um, called an address to Christian believers. Like address to all believers in, in Christ. Yeah. Yep. And in there, he says, Joseph Smith was a fraud because 2 Nephi 3 says that the great seer of the latter days will be a descendant of Lehi. And we all know that Joseph Smith was European. Therefore, and he actually makes this case, therefore, we know Joseph Smith was not the seer. We need to look for another. Wow. And so, and I actually know people that have left the church or struggled over this very over issue. Over David Whitmer. 
Well, yeah, over this, this argument, David Fish, yeah, right. over this argument, what was Joseph yeah. Smith the one? Because did he have the blood of Lehi? So maybe a few specific examples. Huh. And and we can't get into all of this tonight, but we did make a documentary right. called Nephites in Europe um, that goes into totally. some of the. It's only the first two episodes of like a twenty episode <laughs> series, um, but it goes into historical, archaeological, and linguistic evidence that Nephites got to Europe. And it's, it's interesting because Heber J. Grant prophesied that, uh, well, when he went to dedicate the land of Japan, he had an impression that Nephites traveled to Japan and mixed among the Japanese people. He even people. said that yeah, in the dedicatory prayer. Right. And so, and then... Of which um, temple of the... For nope, the opening of Japan. The opening of Japan. When Heber J. Grant dedicated So he said, Japan. we have to get missionaries here because they've got to find okay. the Nephites that are here. Wow. And get them the Book of Mormon, right? Because that's the purpose of the Book of Mormon. Right. And then um, he, Joseph F. Smith, of course, said that some of Hagoth's people mm -hmm. were in New Zealand. Yeah. Right, so we know there are Nephites that got all over the world to Asia, yes. even to Polynesia. What about Europe? And I think there's some pretty compelling inf research and information that shows there's a really good chance, even it's yeah. pretty well. Much and I think if people will open their minds to a Heber J. Grant, a Joseph you know, F. Smith, mm -hmm. or and enough to say, look, these guys aren't just saying that because didn't he say to the Maoris, didn't he say, there's not a question of are you from right. Hagoth? There is no doubt that you are those mm -hmm. people. Because they said, well, maybe, mm -hmm. and he's like, absolutely. And there's so no when prophets speak, it. I mean, right. yeah, they're not always, okay, it's not, what, uh, voted upon, mm -hmm. but right. I mean, these guys speak a lot of stuff that right. I don't think we listen to. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean every Maori, every Japanese, right. every right. European right. is Nephite, but it's the same concept there for the Lost some. Tribes of Israel. There's really good evidence that Nephites scattered all over the world. And in fact, it's right in the first Nephi. When Lehi got the brass plates, he sat down, and I love this because they um, included this in the Book of Mormon <laughs> um, video, the new videos that the church did. <laughs> Nephi's, Lehi's sitting there looking at the brass plates, he says, and the Spirit comes upon him, and he says, one day the brass plates are going to go to um, nations, nations, kindreds, tongues, Amen. and people who are of my seed. So if we want to find Lehi's children today, we can't be looking among just a few tribes in Here. North America yeah. or South America or wherever. We have to look among nations, kindreds, tongues, and people. That encompasses mm -hmm. the globe. So the search for Nephites and Lamanites, I would submit, is a worldwide quest. And one of the other interesting aspects of this is that if the Book of Mormon actually took place here in North America, mm -hmm. and if they left from the East Coast area, right. where did the currents take them? The currents take you straight to Northern Europe. You almost can't yeah. stop yourself from going to yeah. Northern Europe. So, so one, of the, one of the questions that will come up later too when we go yeah. through the Book of Mormon will be uh, the people of Zarahemla, which are what we uh, affectionately call the Mulekites. And they were, uh, of course, more numerous than when King Messiah went to visit with them. So mm -hmm. that'll be an interesting discussion when we get yeah, to that area. Right. That point, yeah. So right. many well, fun things. Yes. But, uh, but also, we, we're going to be talking about uh, these ocean currents and that kind of thing mm -hmm. in, a, in an upcoming episode that we have uh, uh, talking about the Phoenicia yeah. expedition. And there's yes. a ship that's actually now done, yeah. ha has just completed and boy, the Mulek journey. Mm -hmm. And he'll journey. be here. And he'll be mm -hmm. here to talking tell to, to yeah. tell us about the, uh, the, the not only Lehi's ocean voyage has been verified now mm -hmm. by non-members you know, uh, of the church and uh, so forth, but also now Mulek's voyage has also been 
uh, verified to be at least possible in a right. 600 BC replica ship. So I'm excited about uh, sharing that with you. That'll be coming up in the next again, uh, about nothing, two weeks from now. Nothing we share is doctrine. It's all our opinions. We love the <laughs> Lord and we love this Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints with all of our heart and we never speak about doctrine. So, but we're speaking about belief in you can know more than than just out there. You can know things. You can receive personal revelation for things that'll help you in your life. And that's why this Book of Mormon is so critically important today. Well, and, and I think it's it's critical too to to when we have something that we're like, hey, we're coming across this. Is it true? You know, because because um, years ago we were talking to someone who started this whole Nephites in Europe research, yeah. and he goes, I have all this evidence. He had evidence that Nephites went to Europe in their languages and in all their kinds of different and different things. There's Celtic observatories and he's a in New England. He's mounds, no, he's a member, oh, yeah. uh, and so forth. Burial yeah, they, mounds and other kinds of right. things and uh, things this, like that. Uh, yes. Yeah. So yeah. we find all these interesting things about that. There's no that there was connections. There was connections between it. We could go on for hours there's talking about those connections. Um, non non member atheist scholars that right. have found evidence that there was communication between the Americas yeah, and Europe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, and even they say it. So. Yeah. But what I want to come back to, though, is that when we take this research and then we got to, if we put it and we line it up with Scripture. Because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I don't want to get on here and talk about any of this, but I have pages of Scriptures right here, pages of them, of Scriptures that, I don't know how you would interpret it any other way yeah. than that we're Latter-day Nephites. Self-evident. It's just yeah. from so many scriptures and always going back to scripture, if we've got a question, how does it line up with the scripture? Because we might think, well, I had this impression or this inspiration, that's great, but does it line up with scripture? And if it does, okay, then go ahead and move forward. But if it doesn't, back off fast, rethink. right? Because you might be needing to rethink things a lot. Now, I guess that's my only two cents on that subject is read the scriptures, what do they teach? The thing to throw out for thought for, the, for the, our audience here, and that is that um, you know, when it comes down to the blossoming as a rose prophecy mm -hmm. and so forth, think of how this may affect all of that. Right. You know, and so forth, but is it possible that, uh, that the Brethren who are leading and guiding our church may actually be direct descendants of Nephites right. from the Book of Mormon. Right. right. That because isn't that an interesting up. aspect just, of it? Wow. Yeah. So, uh, so, uh, so that the last little bit that we want to uh, just just take just a couple of quick minutes on. Um, there's been um, uh, a lot of, of information, in fact, that even in the manual and so forth, about the translation process of the Book of Mormon. And we have with us a couple of the, you know, people who've done a tremendous amount of research on this translation and, uh, and how, it's, how it happened here. And, uh, and I want you to just take just a, just a couple of minutes. Um, mm -hmm. There's a lot more to this. It's a big subject it's and big so subject. forth. But it's an important one. Number one, uh, what, you know, the translation process, how did right. that actually happen? What do we have as far as accounts? Is there new right. accounts or are they, are they or they, or is there right. something that's been dug up that's brand right. new? Say with the Joseph Smith papers yeah. or something. Or, or, and then also, um, what does this mean for everyone, um, you know, based on this new understanding or this new idea 
Right. And Joseph Smith actually didn't just use the interpreters, which were prepared by God specifically, and then made sure that it got through the Jaredites, the Nephites, and into the yeah. stone box. Yeah. Right. So that Joseph Smith could basically do the translation, right. which was called the translation in every every historical aspect that we right. can see. That's actually a term that was coined by the Lord Himself in the Revelation. So right. it was, so a, it was translation. a translation. It was a translation, <laughs> not a dictation. Not a dictation from a <laughs> right. And, and so, so the seer stone idea. I mean, so we need to so, understand where did that come right. from? Why okay. is it so a big deal? Right. Let's give a summary really quick. So, for 190 years. As a church, we taught one story, okay? And that story was that the Book of Mormon was translated with the Urim and Thummim, mm -hmm. or the Nephite interpreters, which are the same thing, which are, the, are two transparent stones. Joseph Smith defined this. You'll see it on the internet and different things, and people will say, well, Joseph Smith said he translated by the gift and power of God, but he never said what that meant. No, he did say exactly what that meant. He yeah, said I, over and yes, over again just, in the Doctrine and Covenants. So in this book, the Searstone yeah. v. Urim and Thummim, we have three, technically you could argue, four chapters that go into every statement we have. And we actually have a lot of statements. He talks about the process. He talks about the hieroglyphics. He talks mm -hmm. about the use of the plates. There's a lot more from Joseph Smith himself. Right. So, so, and I'm blown away that this is the first time in our whole history where anybody's done real research on the Book of Mormon translation process. <laughs> I mean, I, I am blown away by this, yeah. really, you know? But so, so we went through and we took every statement and we analyzed every one of them. So and what we found out, just to answer your question, is there is not one new statement that has been found in the last 40, 50 years. And yet our whole paradigm yes. has changed right. by what historians are trying to tell right. us so sometimes, really happened. Right, so sometimes people think, well, there's all this new research. Well, actually, there's no new sources, so there's just new interpretations of the sources. So just, to, just to clarify for our audience, right. basically, so what does that mean? basically for, for 190 years, for 190 it's been years. told that the Book of Mormon was translated by the gift and power of God using the Urim and Thummim as the... As, as the, the instrument, instrument and, and using the physical plates. Like right. he actually was so, looking at it. And it was actually a translation. I mean, it, it was, was, at, it was from right. one language into another language. It right. wasn't just reading English off of a Right, stone. that he had his brain on, that he was using his brain and yeah. inspiration, that he actually translated. And what, his vocabulary. What, what evidence is there, what evidence so, is there that he was actually doing a translation and not just so, a dictation? There is so much. So we have one book that's 230 plus pages mm -hmm. of just the evidence. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Sure, sure, and sure. and that, and we have another one planned just as long. Go yeah. ahead. Um, I don't know if we can put up the pictures of the actual characters, but um, there are, you can find this on the Joseph Smith Papers website, but actually in Kirtland, Joseph Smith in we're thinking the school of the prophets because it was the school of the prophets era but there's a document in frederick g williams handwriting and oliver cowdery where they were actually um they have book of mormon characters and they're actually studying the nephite characters and they say what the nephite characters mean yeah, so they why would they need a, to do that why would they need to do that if the lord right, was just going to put right, it on a they just got it on the <clears throat> screen so you can see um here on the 
probably for our audience, the left-hand side here, um, mm-hmm. it says there's some characters, and above it, it says the Book of Mormon, and above that says characters on the Book of Mormon. This is Frederick G. Williams' copy. To the right of it, you can see some more characters, and it's the interpreter of languages. And so it's really interesting. There's another copy of Oliver Cowdery. So I just want you to picture these men, like, all... <laughs> I really wish I could have been in, in this class. <laughs> I, I, I was actually thinking about doing my master's in languages, and I'm like, well, that would have been that would have topped it, um, right? So you think they're they're there in Kirtland, and they're studying these Nephite characters. We don't know how yeah. many other characters. These are just two that have survived. And um, we have John Whitmer's copy of the characters, probably copied some from from 1829 or 1830, 31. Um, so Joseph Smith had the characters. He knew what the characters meant. And there's a lot more other statements. There are statements where Joseph Smith is actually translating the name Mormon. There's um, Mm -hmm. Lucy Max Smith's account where she talks about there was an alphabet of sorts-ish on the plate. Right, kind of like a Rosetta Stone-ish interpretation. And this is book two? This is 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 all in book one. That's out right now. I got to reread because I forgot that part. There's also accounts where uh, Mormon, uh, we know, we know Moroni came to Joseph Smith, but a lot of us don't realize Nephi came to Joseph Smith, Mormon, Alma, all these Nephite prophets were talking to Joseph Smith. What do you think they were talking about? Lucy Max Smith said before Joseph even got the plates, he would come home and they would all sit around and he would be like, let me tell you what Nephite fashion looked like. I mean, wouldn't you want it to be a fly on the wall in these conversations? He's like, let me tell you. Yeah, their travel. Mode of travel. Their everything. She said he could describe it so well, it was as if he lived his whole life among them. So you tell me what's happening in these conversations with Mormon and Moroni and Nephi and Alma. He's seeing visions of the Nephi culture and so well that he knows their dress and the, their right, mode of travel the very and laws, everything. Even, yeah. So why yeah. did the Lord show it to him? Right, the Lord always does things with a purpose. He's not like, oh, Nephi, you got some, I, I mean, Joseph Smith, you got some time to kill. Let's show you a vision, right? It's, it's not like that. He's doing it for a reason. So why did Joseph Smith need to know the culture? Well, the Lord is the one who termed the Book of Mormon as a translation. And those who understand what that entails, to really be a good translator, you have to know the culture oh. and you need to know the background and the history of the record. It's not this thing where you just get a, a um, dictionary, you know, like French to English and go word for word. It doesn't work like that. You have to see, okay, this is what it means in this language. I understand from their culture and their animals and all these things, this is what was going on. How do I express that in English? English language. He could have only done it with the Urim and Thummim assisting him, but he had to have had that knowledge of their culture. And we know he did have that knowledge of their Mm -hmm. culture. And we know Mm -hmm. he did have um, a knowledge of their language, even down in the Kirtland and Nauvoo era. So, and then, anyway. and then there are some people who say that Joseph Smith didn't even really use the plates. I mean, he might have been beginning, so, so, but, he, yes. but, he, but he stopped so using them. where is that idea them. coming from, right? Exactly. So what, you know, so what, what is the deal with that? So, I mean, what, so, go ahead. So there are no new sources. And for 190 years, we taught that silly because, because it came every source that says that Joseph Smith used a seer stone for the translation and that he had the plates covered or something that didn't use the plates. Those are all coming from anti-sources or and sources who apostatized and left the church and were antagonistic to the church. Who were some of those people? 
Well, well most with, of it, most of it is Hurlbut. Yeah, the whole alphabet. the whole idea really came from there was a man named Doctor Philastus Hurlbut. He was a member of the church for a very short period of time <laughs> before he got um, caught for immorality. And he he goes up to the council and he was like, "I'm so sorry, I'll do better." And we have all that. All of this is in the book. Um, and, and they were like, "Oh, poor guy, let's give him another chance." So then he got caught very shortly later bragging to his friend. He was like, I deceived that council and I even deceived Joseph Smith's God. Like they couldn't even fool me. So they pull him back in, excommunicated. Well, little, little did he know that yeah. in that council, he, 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 he basically did kind of deceive the council. But Joseph Smith, right after the council, he said, no. That man is lying. He's There's lying. There's something you know? going yeah. on. So he so, wasn't deceived. So he goes on this hate rampage. Right. And so he goes back east and he was actually paid to do it. Digs up every dirty, nasty story he can find about, about the Smith the family. Smith family. Mm -hmm. And there's um, a lot of evidence that he actually kind of, shall we say, dictated them himself. Yeah. So one historian actually went through and took all the accounts and takes them and just dismantles them. Mm -hmm. So it really oh, is. Yeah. Many sources all but, made yeah. up. And, and so the primary story, if you've heard the story that Joseph Smith found a seer stone while he was digging a well, um, that's coming from Willard Chase. That's one of these sources that's from Hurlbut. That's where that whole story comes from. And the guy himself, he was actually a minister who was involved in the occult. And his sister was a witch. And he was one of the people trying to attack Joseph Smith and steal the plate. So, so this is where we're talking about. This is where the story is coming from. So Hurlbut, release, Hurlbut swore, he said, I will wash my hands in Joseph Smith's blood. So ended up, he actually got pulled up before a court and they actually fined him because they said, yeah, yeah you're, you're threatening violence against Joseph Smith. And he ended up to have life. a very yeah, illustrious career in theft and possibly murder and had an, an inglorious end. He was, he was excommunicated from society after society after society of Christians. Right. And mm -hmm. then For, there's so much evidence, and we go through this in the book, to show that he actually not only was stealing things, but murdered. Yes. People. So this is so that's where the primary source of this, this is coming is from. This is where the Searstone narrative comes. That's Mormonism unveiled, 1834. Right. right. So the yes. whole yeah. story is in the book with all the sources, and we made the footnotes a way that everybody can look it up uh, very easily. But so, that's where the story comes. So for from. decades and decades and decades, and Hunibly and everyone, they just said these sources are laughable. Yeah. Right. But our modern Joseph, Joseph Fielding Smith also say something yes. like that. I mean, he, he wasn't. He, he, he was like the, one of the greatest historians in the whole church. Right. <laughs> right. And we yeah. we go through how long he was in his background and why he was. Yes. Yeah, we go into that. In into the, the book again, but again, so you you have these two stories, right? Yeah. Of one is the Yerman Thummim, and the other one is the Searstone. Now today it's kind of funny. We're like, well. But then there's this, this we, we have these stories by Emma Smith, Martin Harris, and David Whitmer. Yeah. Now, all of those can be shown to not be credible. So we, we yeah, David yeah. Whitmer for a second, all of his accounts come decades and decades after, after yes. Joseph Smith died. Yes. So they're not even contemporary sources. Number one, he wasn't even a witness of the translation. And we go into that in the book. People think he saw it, he didn't see it. Number two, um, David Whitmer, all these accounts are coming later in life and they just happen to coincide right when he's starting his own church and he's <laughs> on this crusade to tear Joseph Smith down. In fact, yeah. There's um, there's accounts of him actually having revelations with other uh, members who had apostatized where they had these 
revelations where God spoke to them and told them, you've got to like change the history, tell a new history to show that Joseph Smith was this man of sin. And that's important because all of these seer stone stories are hooking Joseph Smith to the occult and to money digging. But he never gave up his testimony to the Book of Mormon. Of what right. he saw. So, so no, David Whitmer didn't know. David right. Whitmer, for instance, yeah, and we, <laughs> this is an all night conversation and no one wants to be here all night, right? Yeah. But, because <laughs> you can just read the book. Right. Yes. It really is all, it's all in there. But, but bottom line, so you have uh, Emma, you had Martin we Harris, have and Emma, so forth. We have Martin all Harris, of them were after we have David the fact. Whitmer. Yeah, we're talking decades and decades later. So, was, it, was there any time when Joseph Smith, Oliver Cowdery, or the Lord, ever said anything about using a peep stone and a hat in the translation process of the Book of Mormon? No, in fact, we have There's not one single historical documented No, we have statement after statement after statement of Joseph Smith well, it's all over and Oliver Cowdery, who were the ones there again. doing it. Yes. First hand. First hand, and they said the how they did involved. it. Yeah. Yes, the ones that were involved, they said, this is how we did it. We used the Urim and Thummim. And there's, they never hinted. In fact, Joseph Smith even went back because there was rumors going on right. afterwards, after the translation, after the Book of Mormon came forward, there's these rumors going around. You did it with the peepstone. It was covered plates. It was these and different things were going on. Mm -hmm. He went back into the revelations and clarified that he used the Urim and Thummim <clears throat> to do it. Well, to, to me, it, just so, seems, it seems pretty hard to imagine that here we have the Lord creating, basically having created right. the, the Urim and Thummim and the breastplate. Then it goes through the Jaredites. It goes through the Nephites. It makes, he makes sure that it gets in the stone box. Right. Also that Joseph Smith could just basically ignore it. <laughs> right. Well, not only that, because, but think about the Because plate. it was not convenient. So, so, so I, 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 don't, you know, I don't get that. Joseph Smith always had that rebellious streak. Yeah. You know, when the Lord says to do something, <laughs> yeah. it's like, it's like I'm not going to do it your way. way. I, I know better than the Lord does, you know, because I got, you know, I'm going to use this peep stone instead. Mm -hmm. Well, and, well, but that whole yeah. narrative, right. but it's, it's now prevailed throughout the whole church. Right. And, 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 and I want to clarify one thing. We're not saying that Joseph Smith didn't have seer stones. Right. Right. Um, really what we are did. saying yeah. is there is not one valid, credible historical source that says that he used that seer stone in the translation of the Book of Mormon. And that's, yeah. it's pretty much a But every case. credible source basically says over and over again, the including the revelations in the Doctrine and Covenants, right. and Joseph Smith himself in his history, right. he never once mentions anything about a, a seer stone or a peep right. stone in There's a hat. There's no statement. And we know that there but, but, is but, a picture of a seer stone in the ensign that yeah. the church has in their possession that was a seer stone of Joseph, but never Different. can we ever detail Suffering. it with translating anything. I, yeah, okay, but why, but, okay, so this, this is seems like a big deal, but why is this a big deal? I, mean, I was going to say, uh, when, uh, when Oliver Condry was uh, reinstated into the church and was rebaptized, he gave an address, uh, his final address to the saints in Iowa, and he, and he writes the following, he says, I wrote with my own pen the entire Book of Mormon, save a few pages, as it fell from the lips of the prophet, as he translated it by the gift and power of God, by means of the Urim and Thummim, or as it is called by the, that book, Holy Interpreters. I beheld with my eyes and handled with my hands the gold plates from which it was translated. I also beheld the interpreters. That book is true. I wrote it myself as it fell from the lips of the prophet. Now, what's interesting is that uh, Emma Smith, when she claims that she did the translation, has nothing to do with the small plates or the translation that Oliver had. 
those are from the plates of, uh, of, uh, of Lehi. That was the missing 116 pages. And of course, she's she's writing about that when she's really old, old, right. and we're, we're writing. there's some issues with that. Yeah. 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 We're so, anyways, but this is yeah. this is the individual who is the one that's responsible mm -hmm. for that for that. Um, uh, original manuscript as well as the printer's manuscript. So that's his handwriting that we get, and it's his testimony, and it's actually dying testimony that he did, it's by the Yermathumum, and he beheld that those were the plates that he did. So, so why, so why is this so important, though? We, I mean, what, what, yeah. what does it matter if he did it with the, with the seer yeah. stone or right. with the interpreters? What does, let, does let that Let me just make? throw in oh. one thing for people that are concerned about the Emma Smith statements. Um, we're right, working on book two right now, and there's re really good evidence that she actually was influenced by a man named William McClellan and others, and that's where she got her story from. So there's two small statements. There's other ways to discredit them. Was, was it, wasn't her son, Joseph Smith III, also being pressed to go in and, and now become the leader of the organized church? He was already. This is, years, this is decades yeah, later. Yeah, so, this is yep, even yep. one of them is months before she dies. So she's really old. Old. One, we know she was never an eyewitness to how the translation happened because she never saw the plates or the yeah. Yerman Thummim. And number three is we actually have evidence, we actually have letters being written that show that William McClellan, who was on this crusade with David Whitmer to discredit Joseph Smith and push the Searstone narrative, paid Emma a visit. And all of a sudden, new stories started coming out. Oh. Anyways, there's a whole there's a whole bunch of yeah, history. This is, this so that will fun. be coming out in book two. So, but just for those that are like stressed about it, there is there is wow. there's no reason to doubt Joseph well, just, Smith. So, well, just for, so, so why does it yeah. matter, right? Because yes, that's exactly. at the end of the day. Yes. Why does this matter? So, well, why it matters is <clears throat> number one. It, was our history wrong for 190 years? Did we cover it up? Did we change it? Have we been yeah. hiding from the truth? Well, Were that's we a big deal. If we've lied yeah. about our history for 190 years, that's serious, you know, right. and people lose their faith in the church because of that. That's one reason. Another reason, and there's many, many reasons. Yeah. Another reason is, is we're being laughed at yeah. by the, the, the people out there, there's a man by the name of Jeremy Reynolds, oh, yeah. and he wrote the CES letter, and it's been hundreds of thousands of people have downloaded that, if not millions by now, you know. And so here we are, he's laughing at this idea that there's these plates that are preserved and kept and all this stuff. And Joseph Smith, remember when he pulls them out of the box and he sets them to the side, the first... And then he looks back to just check, did I gone. miss anything in there in the box, you know? <laughs> and then he turns back and they're gone and he's in trouble. Like, you don't that's let right. you those don't. plates out so, of your sight. That's so right. that's how important <laughs> that he's, and we got the whole community and everywhere and people coming in and hiring sorcerers and all this stuff. And we're going to go into that in the book. Right. So, so. We've got all this going on to, to steal the plates. the plates. Oh, but they're not important. But they're not important, <laughs> and he never uses them, you know? And, and the, and the, and the, and the antis are out there saying, you guys, guys, seriously, is there something wrong? And, and our scholars are like, well, I don't know why the plates were important, like because he never symbol. used them. So, and, and not only that, but we have our scholars sitting there saying, we go into this in a, in a, a bit in the book, saying, well, we don't know if the Book of Mormon we have today 
is close to what was on the plates, on the plates. If there even was plates. But if there was plates, we don't know. How do we know? Because he's just like, is he imagining something through the seer like stone? The or so or the is there, what's the disconnect? Yeah. Is he like getting some, you know, it, we don't know. So so there's a lot of credibility. The only thing too is it's just weird. Yeah, we've had. Well, they're just trying to create history to well, make themselves I'll, look I'll tell you this. as opposed to the Lord. Right. I, I just I just watched a video that's to be for, with the "Come Follow Me" right, stuff right. with another group, right. and they actually have a video that they're promoting. Basically, said that the that the idea of the Joseph Smith using the 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 right. the, the, uh, the seer stone is such an important aspect of it. He says, but you know, it's not a big deal that Joseph Smith was involved in. They actually say uh, folk magic. And, right. that, and, that, and this harkens back to his yes. earlier days as basically yes. the village. The village. The village, village so, yeah. so I will so say. Forth, that he was basically into all these right. black arts and, and black yes. magic stuff. And that kind of carried over. Yeah. And so he decided to re reject the instrument that God made for the one that he was using when he was doing the black magic stuff. Right. Well, all of that is false. Right. If you're, if you're no correct, then that's false. There's no credible history at all to Joseph to support Joseph yeah. Smith being involved in money digging or the occult. Uh, now and being the village seer. And the village seer, the village seer, unfortunately, <laughs> that term was coined by one of my cousins, who was one <laughs> of the leading historians for the church for decades. Um, his name was well, let's leave his name out of this. But, <laughs> but he, one of the Palmyra papers, wasn't it? Well, sure. Those are coming from history, but he's the yeah. one who oh. brought it into vogue of Joseph Smith being the village seer. So, and there's and we're this. Actually, can I just? Yeah. So we're actually so we're working on book two right now. Yeah. Um, it's, it will be called Faith Crisis, and it goes into the history of how did we get from Hurlbut with the story of the seer stone to today where we have all of these progressive historians that are members of the church peddling it as true. Like, how did we get from there? Like, right? Mm -hmm. And there is a whole story. There's a whole undercurrent. Quite, it's, an, yeah. it's quite the dramatic story. It would make quite the... Quite the Bottom line, if you, right. if you undermine this individual, mm -hmm. you undermine this yes. and everything else that goes with it. Right. And if he was a money-digging treasure well, seeker and if the yeah. smith family was as hurlbutt right. and his group said if they were yes. basically indolent lazy you know right. uh, drunkards and so forth right then that undermines the character of right. the whole smith family which undermines the character which, of this but didn't he prophet say of God. that money digging right. didn't pay very well <laughs> yeah if he was such a good money <laughs> yeah. digger if this stairstone was so good, why were they always so poor? That's right. <laughs> That's one of the things I well, wondered. <laughs> Hannah and I both go through the Smith lines, right? Yeah. And so we're Smiths. And so this is attacking our family culture and our yeah. family history. And I will tell you this. <laughs> I'm, I'm blown away because there's no sign of magic in any of the cousins in any real accounts, in any, any, any real history. And they, all of the cousins, all of Joseph Smith's cousins and family and ancestry is Puritan, hardworking, in, industrious, honest to a fault, you know? I mean, take it Asel Smith and they were always 
shunned from the community because they were so honest and so yeah. faithful and so strong. And so this new history of making Joseph Smith into an occultic, seer stone, peep stone, whatever you want to call it. And that's okay. Right. Is, is not okay. Is not okay. It is not okay. <laughs> and the truth, the truth is, and they're afraid of the truth because they tried to hide. I mean, we could go into stories. Yeah. Well, listen, we, need, we did need to wrap to this up. If you diminish Joseph Smith even a little to make yourself look better. Better. Like yeah. you said. Yep. I mean, he's got the bottom line. And I think and the key goes to, in the Book of Mormon, in the Book of Moroni, Moroni, um, Moroni 7, there's a verse that says, A pure fountain cannot bring forth bitter water, and a bitter fountain cannot bring forth a pure water. If Joseph right. Smith was a bitter fountain, if he was a corrupt man, he could not have produced the Book of Mormon, period. Right. If he was a good man, he could not have produced evil fruits. It just doesn't mm -hmm. work that way. Yeah. A bitter fountain cannot produce pure water. And right. I think that's something that's so critical in our day is recognizing a person's life really does influence their work. And I think that's a lesson that we should all take into account for our own success in and life. By, and by their fruits, you shall know them. Right. Exactly. I was going to say um, I agree with everything that everything everybody uh, said and I just want to bear my witness that I know that as I've gone through what I call my annotated edition of the book by going through the formatting of the text and as I formatted the text using modern day tools of the computer and picking uh, what I call the elements of uh, the words and, and transforming them into how I did it through the text I can bear witness that there's no way that any person from the occult could have produced such a such a text. It's so complex. It's so rich. It's uh, it's it's very coherent, um, and it's very uplifting. And everything that's of the occult is just the opposite of that. Exactly yeah. right. Okay, so uh, so if you, if you'd like to learn a little bit more about that, if you happen to have the uh, the new edition, the second edition of the uh, annotated Book of Mormon here. Uh, it's on page 560 and 561, talking about the Urim and Thummim, the interpreters of doctrine and truth. Uh, in fact, uh, David, would you d just re kind of, you mentioned that before, um, about what the yes, Urim and Thummim, Thummim means? For the second printing, because of the fact that it has been controversial, yeah. and I wanted to at least address that through putting it into, uh, into the Book of Mormon. So um, one of the things I learned um, is from uh, a recent uh, 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 scholarly uh, uh, publication that came from BYU studies from uh, Joseph Feely McConkie and Craig Osler. And uh, they did a, an extensive uh, review of, of some of the material that started this whole concept of him um, looking through a peepstone into a hat. And, um, but what was interesting is in their research, they find that um, uh, they learned that William Smith, the brother of, of Joseph Smith, had mentioned that Joseph had mentioned to him that the instrument caused such a strain on Joseph's eyes that he sometimes resorted to covering his eyes with a hat to exclude the light in part. And it's suggested here, it's not proven, but it's suggested that that might be from that concept of putting a hat over his eyes that's where you get the peepstone in the hat but i don't think that's that's a proper 
Uh, you know, he never used a seer stone in the hat. I think it was the the ermethumin was so bright, and it and it created such a, a strain on his eyes that sometimes he had to re, remove some of the stray light to get to get a, a get the vision from uh, what he was seeing in the in the ermethumin. And David, you could read that entire article at bookofmormonevidence.org on the front page. It's the second from the bottom article by Craig Osler, uh, who is going to be speaking to us mm -hmm. on an upcoming Firm Foundation conference. And just for information's sake, so again, this is called uh, Seer Stone versus Urim and Thummim. And, uh, and, and it's, this is kind of the more definitive work on the subject. You've got another, another uh, you've got a new edition that just barely yeah, is coming we did, out. We didn't have any really historical inaccuracies. This, this is my one personal one. You can see it's got, it's got all kinds of uh, oh, <laughs> yeah. stuff in it. We actually ended, yeah. in, 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 um, added an introduction and then just a few other additions. Okay, so. I, I also just need to, we need to just uh, finish up here. Um, over the next few weeks, we're going to be covering a lot of different things. So uh, next week is going to be obviously First uh, Nephi chapters 1 through 7. So we'll be uh, discussing a lot of different things about that. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, the American Covenant with uh, Tim Ballard is, is going to be coming and, and speaking to us. We're going to be talking about the Phoenicia expedition. It'll probably be the week after that when we get into Lehi's Ocean Voyage. And uh, many people don't know that Lehi's Ocean Voyage has actually been done in a 600 B.C. replica ship. We're going to be talking about the Tree of Life next week and about uh, what the meanings of those things are and, uh, and some of the information about that that will be helpful. Um, also, we'd like to invite everybody to, to watch the uh, new, uh, well, it's not new now, it's been about two or three years now, but it's called Scripture's Legacy. If you get a chance, I don't know if you've seen the Scripture's Legacy, it's, a, it's about a 20-minute film that the church produced. It's just fabulous, talking about where would we be if we didn't have the Book of Mormon. It actually has, a, the, the first depiction is really interesting. It has, uh, Moroni is, the, is running from these, uh, these Lamanites and so forth, and then they actually find, they catch him, and they end up killing him with an arrow in his back. And they said, what, what would have happened if, if Moroni wasn't able to actually keep the sacred record, if we'd have lost it? And our, our, all of our lives would be very different than they are today, and I think all of yours would too. And uh, so, so that's uh, that's called Scripture's Legacy. It's just on the you know, churchofjesuschrist.org and so forth. Um, I want to remind you about the, uh, the church's uh, new videos, which I'm very pleased to say have been uh, very geography neutral, if you're understanding about our, where we're kind of coming from. Uh, they've been pretty, you know, there's no, there's no big Mayan pyramids anymore in any of the films and so forth. It's been pretty, pretty amazing, and uh, I've really enjoyed the uh, the videos there so big thumbs up to uh, everybody in the in the church video department they're they're uh, working hard to try to keep this going between this neutrality thing here but anyway so um, let's see last couple of things so so again for additional information if, if you don't have a copy of uh, the annotated edition of the Book of Mormon you can get it off, off, the, off the website um, you can get it from Deseret Book, you can get it from Costco stores if you're in the Intermountain area, basically Utah, Arizona, and Idaho. You can get them there, um, and we highly recommend it. Uh, David has done such a great job of putting this together along with the team of other people. It's in involving all of us here and many other people who've been involved with the project. So if you'd like to kind of stay with us as we go through this this year, uh, the Annotated Book of Mormon is going to be exciting to see how all these different things um, you know, come to pass there. Ryan was uh, instrumental in getting a lot of the, the, uh, the, the images and so forth uh, for, as far as some new paintings and, and things like that. 
David was amazing about putting this all together. He spent uh, many years actually going through the text itself and, uh, and reformatting and so forth so that you can understand more clearly with better clarity and understanding than ever before as you read the Book of Mormon. Uh, the Stoddards have been fabulous as far as getting all of their information put together as far as this American Covenant things. And I'm excited, so excited about next week and we're going to be talking uh, hopefully with Tim Ballard, trying to work around his schedule somewhat. Uh, if you don't know who Tim Ballard is, he's uh, one that started Operation Underground Railroad, but one of the first places he ever spoke about all of this was actually one of our conferences. And uh, so we do just want, also you should know we have two conferences a year that are fa fantastic for additional information. Also, uh, the Stoddards and uh, Tim Ballard and myself and Ryan and, and, and literally hundreds of other people have all spoken at our conferences and those are all now becoming more available on our, our streaming sites called Book of Mormon Evidence Streaming. If you want to go there and check it out, you can watch the, the trailers are all for free. Basically, you can see kind of what's going on there. It's like eight bucks a month or something like that if you want to sign up and subscribe to it, which we highly recommend because there's about, uh, about 300 hours. <coughs> and that's at Book of Mormon Evidence Streaming. Streaming. Dot, dot com. Yeah. And org. And org. Yeah, both of those. Thank you. Okay, um, a couple, couple other things. So, um, let's see. If you want to know more about Joseph's remnant, we have the Lamanites in today's America. These are un unbelievable stories. Actually, very believable because they're actually real people. These are all people who are um, of, of Native American descent who have excelled in many different areas of their lives, and some of their stories are in this. It's called Joseph's Remnant Lamanites in Today's America, Signifiers of Faith and Courage. And uh, so I recommend that, that. This is by Alan uh, C. Christensen. Uh, this is a brand new one. It's barely just barely came out. It's actually the first ever uh, primary scriptures. It's a new edition for kids. It's got it's been uh, you know fully illustrated here. It's just beautiful. This is uh, Jason <coughs> Zipro, and uh, and then the the, uh, the illustrations have just been fantastic. So hopefully you can see these. I don't know if you can see those or not from where we're at, but I'm um, assuming so. Okay, so there's that. Um, the, 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 uh, if you want some additional information here about the Stoddard, basically you have these three. This is the uh, four day covenant on the land. Um, this is the one that goes through and shows the parallel history between the Book of Mormon and the United States of America. You have the uh, four day divinely sanctioned governments where you take the, uh, the two governments that have been known to be basically approved by God and what are the common elements of those two government systems. And you will find out more about our government and the reason why, um, you know, the republic and so forth and what we, what we have as far as in the United States of America, why this is so important and how this also plays into the whole history of mankind. The Nephites in Europe DVD is just phenomenal, basically, that describes and, and, and shows how, this, uh, this, how it's possible that the people who are the Europeans that came over the wall, basically over the ocean, to America including many of the founding fathers of the United States, actually have Nephite descendancy. And that's just awesome stuff and there. Those are at josephsmithfoundation.org. Yep. Yep. And then uh, now when we get with uh, Jonathan Neville, we just, just briefly mentioned that tonight, but, uh, or today, but, but it, it, whatever happened to the golden plates, this is talking about the two sets of plates. There's a DVD or a book. You can kind of pick, take your pick about that one. Um, this is kind of the, um, the I call it the, the, the foundational uh, information as far as I am concerned, which is the American Promised Land Covenant, which is a, a two DVD set, it's about four hours long. 
that goes into why this covenant on the, na the national covenant, there's personal covenants, but there's also a national covenant as well. And that was invoked by George Washington and it ties into 9-11 and all kinds of interesting things. And then next week, um, if we have time, we're gonna try to go through uh, a little bit more about this DVD, which is called, Oh, How Lovely Was the Morning? This is the quest for the date of the first vision. And uh, some interesting research that's been done on that, because that's been one of the most important things in world history, um, is the, the return back of, of Christ and God, basically, to the American continent um, with the first vision. But we haven't had really a date for that. But when you put together a bunch of different things, like even things like when maple syrup runs and how the Smiths were involved with that and, uh, and, and, and temperature calendars. records and calendars from Enix calendars and so forth, it all kind of converges on one particular date. And uh, Dr. Uh, John Lofgren and Dr. John um, Pratt were the ones that kind of do that. But we're gonna talk to Talk to you a couple. Maybe we'll try to get uh, Dr. John Lefgren on the phone with us on that. Anyway, so there's just, again, some additional resources that you can use to, uh, to learn more about this. Uh, our brothers and sisters, we hope that this has been uh, inspirational for you. I hope that uh, you get excited about reading the Book of Mormon. This is gonna, a longer one. We'll try to keep the rest of them to about two hours. About, no, about an hour. Just kidding. Okay. <laughs> um, and we just have uh, a lot to share with you. We're excited about this. And... Uh, Go forth and read the Book of Mormon. It is true. It is the Word of God. And we can all become closer to God by reading it than any other book. So as a final thing, I uh, want to have Ryan tell you a little bit about this final... Um, artifact. Artifact. I have had the opportunity for many years to know a good friend that lives by me in Bountiful, Utah, who is related to one of our 12 apostles. He wants me to keep this a little hush. He doesn't like to be recognized. Uh, this One of these apostles has an original copy of the Book of Mormon. This is an actual 1830 edition. And he signed it in the front, which I just showed you a little bit, so you couldn't see his name. <laughs> but I'm telling you, the spirit of this book, uh, knowing that this was one of the first 5,000 printed uh, that I'm looking at right now, I just thank my friend for allowing me to see it, touch it, to bring it tonight. Uh, I know this book is the Word of God without any doubt. I thank Rod, I thank David, I thank the Stoddards, wow, Hannah and James have inspired my life. Uh, this is true and please read it. It is the book that we know can change lives. And I say this in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. Thank you. Tune in next week. <laughs>